Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different styles, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture associated with wine. Today's episode is focused on Chablis, the famous white winemaking region of the north of France, just around about 200 kilometers southeast of Paris, and over 100 kilometers north of Dijon, which is where the rest of Burgundy begins with the Côte d'Or. So when looking at a map of Burgundy, there's always the huge question of why is there such a gap between Chablis and Dijon? Why are there no vines planted here in the di- distance between Chablis and Dijon, and yet the Chablis and the Côte d'Or is considered part of Burgundy? So let's look at the history of uh, Chablis and decipher the reasons for that. We can go back to the Romans, who probably planted the first vines in the area, but the first Chablis, as we understand it, was made by the Cistercian monks in the 12th century. So monks were extremely important in establishing winemaking practices all over uh, Burgundy. Fast forward to the 19th century, and we have 40,000 hectares of land planted in Chablis. Contrast that to the 3,500 hectares planted now, and we obviously have a huge difference. And these 40,000 hectares of land connected Chablis to the rest of Burgundy. So that's why this is all considered part of Burgundy, because historically, this was all covered with vineyards. The wines made in Chablis then were uh, drunk by the Parisian market in taverns, and this would be inexpensive, quite acidic and tart wine. And a lot of this wine would have been made from grapes planted on those vineyards located between Chablis and the rest of Burgundy. Everything changed, however, at the end of the 19th century. In 1886, powdery mildew hit Chablis. In 1887, even worse, phylloxera hit Chablis, devastating the vineyards. Once Chablis began to recover from phylloxera, growers decided not to replant in many of the areas that had traditionally been planted to uh, grapes. And so the huge area between Chablis and Burgundy, which is now not planted to vineyards, was just left alone. And this is mainly because of the railway, which had been um, built to connect the Languedoc in the south of France with Paris. And that meant that the Parisian market simply wanted to drink the wines of Languedoc instead, because these are fruity, friendly, forward wines, which are very easy drinking, compared to the tart wines from Chablis. So much of Chablis simply wasn't replanted, and that's why we have this big gap between what is Chablis now and um, the rest of Burgundy in the Côte d'Or. By the 1950s, there were just 500 hectares planted in Chablis. Contrast that to the 40,000 hectares planted at the end of the 19th century before phylloxera hit. It's a huge decline in the plantings. Phylloxera and the railway were partly responsible, mostly responsible for that, but the climate was also responsible. Spring frost has always been an issue in Chablis. And that spring frost hits Chablis in the months of March, April and May. And that spring frost can simply devastate the vintage and have nothing left. So this is why vines declined to such an extent to just 500 hectares, because growers just simply couldn't afford to rely on these vintages where you may not get any grapes. Thankfully, in the 1960s, solutions were found for spring frost. Heaters were one thing, or smudge pots, spreading heat around the vineyard to stop the cold air settling on the ground to create the frost, or sprinklers, which would um, spread warm water around the vineyard, again to stop the cool air settling on the ground. Heaters have their disadvantages because they're expensive, but they are efficient. Sprinklers, however, are cheaper, but they're more inefficient, so you have that choice of which one you're going to 
going to use. But nevertheless, both have been much more effective in uh, combating Spring Frost, so it's no longer the huge issue that it used to be. And even if vintages are hit by Spring Frost, you're still going to get grapes at the end of it, whereas up until the 1950s you may have got no grapes whatsoever. So this year, 2017, Spring Frost has been a huge issue, but at least there will still be a vintage. So now there are 3,500 hectares planted in Chablis, including the other appellation of Petit Chablis, which we'll talk about in a moment. The climate in Chablis is continental, so we have long, hard winters which can um, spread into the spring, resulting in that spring frost, and then hot summers, which will get the grapes fully ripe. So it's quite an extreme climate, resulting in these wines with high acidity and quite restrained flavours, which we'll also talk about in a moment. The soils of Chablis very important in Chablis because it really contributes, or so the locals would have you believe, to the style of wine. So Chablis is on the edge of the Paris Basin which spreads across the north of France and goes into Champagne and actually goes across the English Channel into uh, southern England as well. So the White Cliffs of Dover are an example of the soils of Chablis if you want to kind of uh, visualise what they look like. These soils are 180 million years old or more and the name of these soils is Kimmeridgian clay. And Kimmeridge is uh, actually a village in Dorset in the south of England, just emphasising that these uh, soils do spread across into England, um, all part of the same uh, basin. The, um, the soil, the Kimmeridgean soil, is a limestone clay soil, and you will find fossilised oyster shells in this soil from the formation of the basin, because the formation is created by um, seas covering the land and then receding. And so you'll still find those fossilised oyster shells today. There's another soil called Portlandian clay which is quite similar, but it lacks the quality that uh, the Kimmeridgian clay produces, and that Portlandian clay is where Petit Chablis is located. So let's talk about the grape variety of Chablis and the style of wine produced in the region. So Chardonnay is the grape, it's 100% Chardonnay, and the wine produced will have high acidity and it will have a mineral flint texture. So Chablis is not a fruity wine. Green apples, citrus fruits but little more because Chardonnay is a naturally neutral grape and then you have this cool climate so you're not getting really ripe grapes so the wines will have a very restrained style so it's all about the texture of the wine rather than the fruitiness of the wine and this is why the use of oak here is quite controversial um, it, it is rare for oak to be used and this is unusual for Chardonnay thinking of Burgundy or California or Australia oak is often used to give the wines greater flavours to because, Chablis not, uh, because Chardonnay is not a naturally fruity wine, the oak will add extra complexity. But not in uh, Chablis. Traditional style is to use either very old, large oak barrels, or to use stay in the style, to maintain the purity of the grape and also of the soil. If oak is used, it will add a little creaminess. Domaine La Roche are a good example for a producer who do use a little bit of new oak. But usually any oak that will be used in Chablis could be in Premier Cru, the most likely to be old oak, and ma mainly in Grand Cru, maybe 5-10% to 10 new oak, so very small amounts, just adding that little creamy texture. Chablis has evolved a lot in the last 50 years, going from that very small production of 500 hectares located around the small town of Chablis to the 3,500 now, and winemaking techniques have improved a huge deal, understanding fermentation and which on what temperatures to ferment the uh, juice at to uh, preserve the style of wine that the winemakers want 
and also the use of malolactic fermentation and understanding what that is and what it contributes to the wine. So now probably about 99% of Chablis is made with malolactic fermentation and it really is necessary in Chablis because the natural acidity is just so high that it needs to be softened by the malolactic fermentation. So just understanding how that happens and how to control it and how to develop it has really improved over the last 50 years uh, in, and really improving the style of wine that has been made. So going back to that mineral word, minerality is a, is a word which is much used within the wine industry but no one really ever defines what it means. And often it's just used as a substitute for saying that the wine isn't very fruity, that it has this dry, reserved austerity to it. So what does it actually mean? Because this is a phrase which will be used a great deal for um, Chablis. So let's hear from Lien Marchive of Domaine de Melon, a Chablis producer, and her definition of minerality. As anecdote, I could tell you something which is very old, when I was child, so I'm not very young, so you can imagine. And uh, I was with uh, my father in the, in the vineyard, and I asked him, please, uh, Dad, could you tell me how I can recognize the minerality? Because everybody speaks about minerality, but I cannot, uh, I cannot understand how I can find it. And he told me, okay, you take a, a piece of stone in the vineyard directly, and you put your tongue direct on the stone, and you will understand what, what is mine minerality. So I really like her definition of uh, minerality, literally licking a stone, and is that dry, stony, flint texture. Licking a stone may not sound very pleasant, but when you have that dryness to the white, it's really um, quite distinctive, and makes up for the lack of fruitiness of the wine, otherwise it would just be about the acidity. So this almost indescribable texture to Chablis, which really uh, defines the style. And this um, is really important for the food and wine pairings. So Chablis is extremely good with seafood because you have that high acidity. It really matches the, um, the acidity of seafood. And because the wines aren't too fruity, they don't overpower the seafood. And so Chablis is very popular in countries that have a seafood culture, maybe Northern Europe or Japan, for instance. So extremely ideal pairings with seafood and Chablis. So let's look at the appellation structure of Chablis. It's always important in France. So we have the Chablis appellation itself, and this is the appellation which covers the broad area of Chablis. Nearly 3,000 hectares of plantings in, in the Chablis AC itself. And the, so this has been subject to controversy. This is also true of the Premier Cru appellation, because Chablis has expanded so much in the last 50 to 60 years by seven times. Some people argue that Chablis has been planted on land which is not suitable for grape growing. And um, this land is arable, rather than the really um, chalky limestone soils that, um, that Chablis traditionally is known for. And so this means that quality does vary in Chablis. And you can have the really acidic mineral styles of Chablis. Also you can have Chablis which is just kind of boring and neutral. So quality does vary. There's also another appellation, Petit Chablis, which I've mentioned, which has just over 500 hectares. And as I said, it's on a different type of soil, Portlandian clay. And these vineyards are on the plateau to the south of Chablis. So it's a slightly different location, different soils. But the style is, you know, is fairly similar, not as concentrated, not as intense as the best Chablis. At the same time, it can be quite inviting and quite appealing. And drinking Petit Chablis when it's young can actually be more rewarding than drinking Chablis when it's young. And then we have the Premier Cru vineyards, of which there are 40. 
And again, this is going back to this controversy of the expansion, because 40 vineyards for some is too many, as it's gone away from the traditional heartlands of Chablis into those areas where plantings were simply for the inexpensive wines. So controversial, but still, there they are. There are 17 climat, so climat refers to a vineyard, a little bit unusual in uh, Chablis, in that umbrella names are often used, and these refer to the climat. And then within these climat are different uh, Premier Cru vineyards, these climats are split into different parts. So for example, we have the Veyon Premier Cru, and this is something you'll see on a label, so these umbrella names are much more famous, so they'll be much more likely to be used by producers. But the Veyon Premier Cru actually contains another seven Premier Cru vineyards which could find their way onto the, um, the label. A little bit complicated, which adds to the, the controversy of the huge amount of Premier Cru vineyards there are for the amount of um, plantings that there are in Chablis. Then there are the Grand Cru vineyards, so much more closely defined. There are seven climat with a hundred hectares of plantings, and these are all on the same slope which rises up from the village of Chablis. And um, these are on the right bank of the river Seren. So Chablis has a river running through it, and the best vineyards are located on the slopes rising up from this vineyard. So the Premier Cru vineyards are on the left and the right bank of the, vine of the uh, river, but the best premier crew are generally considered to be on the right bank surrounding the Grand Cru vineyards, because this is where you have the south-southwest facing exposure, really uh, maximizing the sun and getting the grapes ripe, not, not too ripe, because it's a gradual ripening over the course of the day, but still having that really intense concentration. And these uh, slopes will be 100 to 250 meters high for the Grand Cru vineyards. And these Grand Cru vineyards are about 10 to 30 hectares in size. And just going through the, the seven different ones, we have Les Clos, which is maybe the first one to be being, being planted by the monks back in the 12th century. Blanchot, Bougro, Vaudésir, Valmeur, Preuse, and Grand Nuit. And just to add to the controversy and confusion, there's also another vineyard called La Mouton, which straddles Vaudésir and Preuse. And some people consider this a Grand Cru vineyard, but it isn't actually classified as one. And so it's a vineyard within two different vineyards. If that's not confusing, well, that's the French wine for you. All these very specific appellation structures, and then all the exceptions and the controversies and vagaries. But that is Chablis. And Grand Cru Chablis really is phenomenal. It retails for $150 or more. It will age for years and years because of that really really high acidity and it will just have an extra fruitiness to it because of that exposure but still be really lean and tight. Premier Cru Chablis more affordable and um, extremely high quality depending on the vineyard and the producer. Styles can vary slightly and if I was going to go for some kind of more inexpensive wine I'd arguably choose Petit Chablis over Chablis just for a better value and more consistency of style. But that's um, my viewpoint. So, thank you for listening. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. <laughs>